All right, we are talking about um, the four types of teaching, or four legitimate types of teaching that there are in the Bible. We've gone through two direct and abstract, direct statements, just simply, this is how it is. Uh, really no need to fight with it. Uh, it's just right there. Uh, abstract, we talked about concepts and ideas, principles, the application of truth, which is a little bit, it's written plainly, um, but it's still, it's not so easy to figure out as a direct statement. Um, There there are things we have to apply, there's things we have to chew on. So it's a, and we're we're talking about, as we talk about interpreting the scriptures, we're using, the easier something is to understand, we're using that in priority over the things that are harder to understand. And the next one you might think falls under abstract. Uh, What we're going to talk about today is figurative. Um, It's abstract, but it's not, we're going to group it separately because uh, what we call abstract for the purposes of this class anyway, uh, is plainly written. It's like, like we talk about, it's just the application. It's just, you have to wrestle with it. These are going to be things with um, uh, symbolic language of some sort. Um, we're actually going to begin with something that's not, but I, grouping these things is always kind of arbitrary and a little bit difficult. So uh, we're going to um, look at the first type here, our metaphors. Um, these are many of these are simple to understand. We're going to go through these pretty quick, and then we're going to go back through some of these and see kind of how you can get things wrong, um, in, and how people have and still continue to get these wrong. Uh, a lot of these are simple to understand because they tell us uh, that it's a metaphor. Matthew 13. Uh, this is the disciples came to him and said, "Why do you speak to them in parables?" And he said. Uh, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. So there's, there's, he just tells them, listen, I'm, uh, and you'll read through the time. He taught them in a parable. Okay, I know it's a parable. I, I know that this is symbolic language. And, and it's nice when it does that. This is a symbol. I'm telling you, this is a symbol. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of times um, throughout the scriptures that it says this, um, something like that. Uh, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes there'll be a parable uh, that is obvious a parable, but it doesn't say it is. So, for example, um, uh, Mark 13, 28, 29 says, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out leaves, you know summer is near. So also, when you see these things take place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Well, we know that this is a metaphor that he's using there's no connection between a fig tree and Jesus coming again. We, we understand that he's using a metaphor. Uh, but there, I'm, I'm using some silly illustrations because sometimes there are places where it doesn't say, this is a metaphor. And if you take it literally, you're going to get a wrong answer. Um, so we want to learn to look for those. It's pretty easy, I think, metaphors and when we're talking about figurative language. So we're going to move on to another type, uh, which sometimes gets taken. Uh, exaggeration. There is exaggeration in the Bible. Um, we read the Bible like we read and talk to no other person, as though everything that comes out of their mouths 
was absolutely without any nuance of human speech. Can you think of something that might be an exaggeration in the Bible, not literally true, but proves a true point? You got me. And how, how do we interpret this? What's the, interpret, what's the explanation? How many have heard the explanation for this? Well, outside of Jerusalem, there's a place where you to get... There's no place outside of Jerusalem where it's really hard to get in. But you can get in. It's really, because we, we're, trying, we're trying to justify... Well, rich people do go to heaven. So, so this can't be lying. Jesus couldn't have lied. Right? Um, so what, how do we... And so people come up with this. This is an exaggeration to prove a true point. This was an idiom. It actually, as far as I understand, didn't even begin with the Jews. It was an Arabic idiom before it was a Hebrew idiom. So... Uh, Sometimes people use exaggerations to, uh, to, to make a point of something. We do it all the time. I've got a million things to do. No, you don't. Probably less than a thousand. Probably less than a hundred. You probably have five things to do today. A million? I don't think so. And we treat apostles like they never used this language. Um, So, um, let's see, do I have another? Yes, here's another one. Um, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How many times? I'm good at math. 490 times. That's how many times we forgive. It's a metaphor to show... Please don't count. Please don't keep a record of wrongs, right? That's the point. The point is not to take everything literal. So you can see where we can get some mixed up things. Um, now, we don't want to be too quick to throw everything in this category. Um, we want to know the difference between difficult and impossible to believe. Right? There are some things in the Bible that are difficult to believe. The central point of the Bible is what? What's the central point of the entire Bible, old and new? Jesus. Jesus. The resurrection. Is there anything harder to believe than a resurrection from the dead? I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything more hard to believe than a body having been decayed and embalmed for three days coming back to life. That is hard for me to believe. We are asked to believe some hard things. Uh, so, so don't be quick. And some people, and we'll see this as we go through uh, things, this is hard to believe. You know, let's understand the difference between an exaggeration and idioms and allow for the apostles to make um, exaggerations sometimes. Um, and again, these are silly illustrations, but you can see already how, how we've seen some people 
invent something um, because they couldn't uh, understand exaggeration. Now we're going to get to um, a couple that are really misused frequently. They are very valid but misused. And that is, first is prophecy. A prophecy is, is abused. Um, as I said, we're going to are very hard to categorize. Um, and so the first type of prophecy actually doesn't really belong in what we would, in this category called figurative because they're very uh, clearly stated. Uh, for example, Matthew uh, chapter uh, 24, 2, and he's, this here he's predicting the downfall of Jerusalem, and he says, uh, there won't be one stone left on another that won't be thrown down. That's a literal statement. It's direct. It's easy to understand. No argument. Right. Uh, and yet it's still prophecy. Not all prophecy is weird stuff. You know, what in the world does that mean? Some prophecy really actually doesn't belong in the figurative category. A lot of it, you know, if you go back to the Old Testament and predicting the downfall of kingdoms and you're going to fall or king, your head is going to be taken up from you. And, uh, you know, uh, those are pretty literal uh, statements. So, uh, but... We want to look at some more maybe difficult things. Uh, if you read this verse um, in Isaiah, what would you think of, without knowing anything else, what would you believe about Cyrus? What, what conclusion might you draw? Isaiah 44:28 says, He says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he will fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, She shall be built. And of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Not, not with regards to the temple or anything he's going to do. What, would, what might you assume about uh, Cyrus? He's a good guy. Oh, well, he's a good guy. But anything by prophecy, and does this strike you as a prophecy? I mean, the, the, it strikes me as a prediction of what he's going to do. But does this strike you as a prediction of Cyrus? Okay. What tense is this written in? Present tense. If I read this without knowing anything, I would think that Isaiah was familiar with Cyrus or that they were, um, you know, lived approximately at the same time. Isaiah lives almost 200 years before Cyrus. Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies at 200, and in the fall of uh, Babylon uh, to, to the Persians and the Medes um, is like around 500, five, 506 or something like that. But it's, here's a prophecy stated in the present tense. So sometimes prophecy is tricky because it's not, it doesn't use uh, future tense. So it gets a little tricky. Here's another one. We've, in, in the entire chapter, is written this way. Isaiah, in fact, doesn't use present tense, but it uses past tense. Uh, we were claimed he was a man of sorrows. And, and all those statements, um, he was chastised for our iniquity. And the whole chapter is written in past tense. Oh, that is interesting. I understand that with God, when God makes a prediction, it, it's already happened in his mind. 
It doesn't make a difference, the tense. Right? Uh, before Abraham was, I am. I mean, tense makes no difference to God. Uh, so, so we can, we can kind of get, well, he was past tense. And, uh, so some people, based on some of these statements from, from Cyrus, uh, you know, this, well, Cyrus, maybe Isaiah didn't live when he did because he, was, he must have wrote later. Or, and, and we talked about that um, misconception about um, Isaiah. No, um, Isaiah lived when he, when he said he did. He lived around the time of Hezekiah. We know that. And tense does not determine how we necessarily interpret a prophecy, specifically. If we're talking about a literal statement, yes. But in a prophecy, no. Any thoughts before we go on? So, I know I'm kind of rushing through this, but um, there is a ton in this, and I, this one I don't want to chop up. So when we're talking about prophecy, when what we think of most of a lot of the things that we think of in terms of prophecy falls under this last uh, category of prophecy, which is metaphorical prophecy. Let me give you an example of that. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Ooh, okay. um, big scary stuff. Now, right away, I know that this, it, and this is the problem that people have, is, is, is this um, going back and forth between figurative and literal and, profit, and and just mixing up what to use, when and where. So we look for the things that can't actually happen I mean, it is impossible. Is there anything in here that can't actually happen? Can a star fall on the earth? Well, this just says fall from the sky, which we see meteors. Okay. All right. We, we would look at this and we would see this symbolic usage used a lot of times uh, throughout the, the Bible in the Old Testament. Uh, we, we understand clearly, I think, that this is um, not speaking literally. In fact, if we look throughout the rest of this chapter, we'd find a lot of things. Uh, by the way, there is a principle called Roche's Limit. Roche's limit is that two very, very, very large astronomical bodies cannot collide. Um, the smaller will explode before they ever touch. Um, so, I mean, a little asteroid can collide with the Earth. But two huge, like the moon could not collide with the Earth. The moon would explode. Uh, just the, the forces on it, there are physics forces which are at work. Um, <clears throat> And it can be calculated the distance based on the speed and the mass of the two bodies. Um, well, let's look at this differently. If we looked at this differently, um, we would see that stars and, and illuminated bodies are references so often to people of significance um, that... Uh, or powers of significance. 
important emperors or uh, empires, and, and, and that these are used symbolically. They're used in the Old Testament. They're used in the New Testament. And it, we'll even see this again today, uh, not, not just because it makes a good illustration of, of some different types of things in prophecy. So um, we're going to come back to this a little bit and see how to place things. But we, we need to understand when, we're, when we are interpreting what really is impossible and requires us to go, maybe this is symbolic. Maybe this is, you know, and, and understand that we want to try not to put stuff in there immediately, but let the scriptures dictate when to do that. Um, the last one is typology. Who knows what typology is? Okay. I'll give you an example. Romans chapter 5. Uh, it's a kind of a prophecy, but it's a, it's a prophecy that isn't, this will happen. Um, Romans 5.14 says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who is to come. Now, without talking about no, knowing the word typology, we've all heard it and used it. It's when something in the Old Testament represents something in the New Testament. The type is always the first thing, by the way. Just so, so it, it's, uh, it, if you think of it, we get the, the concept from a typewriter, right? Here's a, here's a, a, a print. You know, we had the old clickety-clack things, right? And it would imprint that in the same mark every time, right? And so, so there's this symbolism of things that represent something. Well, here, we know it's a type because the Bible says Adam is a type of, of Jesus, right, is a type. Words that you'll see that are symbol uh, uh, or image, type, shadow, uh, is used in Hebrews, uh, represents the like figure of which baptism, okay? So remember, the like figure of which baptism now saves us, there's a typology, there's an Old Testament thing, and there's a New Testament thing uh, that represents it. Uh, some interesting, uh, we'll, and we'll see again, we'll go back through these and, and look at um, how they're used or used incorrectly. I just kind of wanted to brief you on those. Um, so let's go back through a little bit and let's get and take an orderly approach at prophecy uh, and, and these different um, figurative things. And understand, I placed it third because we want to go through and make sure that when we're interpreting something that's prophetic, we're not contradicting something that's either a concept or something that is a direct statement. Because people do that all the time. Like, here's, a, here's a clearly worded thing. And then, but people will say, well, well, there's this prophecy. And they, and they have this great fantastical theory about something that they've read. And it's like, but there is a plainly worded thing right here. Yeah, but I've got this cool prophecy. You've got it upside down. Uh, so we want to take an orderly approach. So let's look at taking a direct statement before something prophetic. Uh, someone would want to read when uh, I don't have room to put all these up there. So Revelations 20, 
verse 1 through 6. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, and locked and sealed it over him, to keep him from deceiving nations any more, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. All right. Anything in here that jumps out of you as pointing to something figurative? What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dragons? Um, okay. We should probably look at this symbolically. And yet, yet people want to jump out. And what's the thing that we, they want to take literally? Thousand years. Let us talk of thousand years. Why do we do we? Why not talk of a literal dragon that will come and you know uh, be bound for a thousand years? Well, that's symbolic. People just mix and match what they want. Um, so we want to take a direct statement. So so let's when we when we talk about oh there's going to be a kingdom on earth for a thousand years and then Jesus is going to. Eh, all these things. Okay, so, so let's look at Second Peter chapter 3. There's no statements in Second Peter 3 that are going to, or at least in this segment, that are going to say, this is probably symbolic. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 13. Someone wants to read that. Yes, uh, through 13, excuse me. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in line with holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay, there's no here here. Right? There's nothing here. You can stay here. It's going to get warm. There's going to be no thousand years of, of Jesus here on this planet. We look for a new place, pretty clearly worded. In fact, in some versions, it actually says the elements themselves are going to melt with a fervent heat. They're going to dissipate. It's like, there's no more carbon. There's no more... There's nothing here. It's gone. This is a literal statement. So, so we let the direct statements of the Bible place the structure for interpreting something symbolic. Okay, so now I take that and I go back to Revelation. I'm like, whatever that's talking about, dragons and the rest of it, it means something else. You're wrong. <laughs> something else? I don't know what. I might not know what. 
but it means something else. So learn to, to, to get to the, the first, which is direct statements. Here's a, another one. We want to take direct statement before a metaphor. And this might be, like we're, we're talking about, not even a, necessarily a prophetic thing, but just a metaphor in the Bible. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 26. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Okay. Uh, you know what this verse is used to support? I just ripped it out of its context because people who use it rip it out of its context. What, what might doctrine might this be used to support? Can you guess? Purgatory. Purgatory. Okay, that was kind of a long way to Grandma's house, but okay. Um, sure. Um, see, because it, it's a symbol, and, uh, and it, it's, we can use symbols to, to get to where we want. And so, so this has actually been used by the Catholic Church to, to see, see God's going to send you in, and you'll get to work your way out. You're going to go there, uh, and uh, you're going to have to work your way out when you pay the last penny, you know, as a symbol of your sins, the debts you owe, you'll work out of it. Not intended to... I think most of us could go, no, that was never intended to be used that way. It's, it's a parable. It's a metaphor for something. But I don't think it means that. But we could just go to a, a, a verse that's clearly worded, and I think we could... Understand, that's not what that was intended for. Hebrews 9.27. Very clearly worded, not metaphorical at all. Hebrews 9.27. Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. All right. This verse is a great verse because it chops off a lot of stuff. Right? We're not reincarnated. Uh, a lot of things that this touches. Not metaphorical. It's direct. And it helps us understand when things are metaphors. Okay, whatever, whatever Jesus was saying, it was a metaphor for something. He was not talking about purgatory. Sorry. All right. So one more topic under, under talking, showing the order of, of what... Because we've talked about direct statements, those are easy. But sometimes, um, and I want to show why I've put these in the order, an abstract statement or a principle can help us understand a prophecy or a, or a metaphor. Uh, so, for example, um, someone want to read Joel 2.28. Joel 2.28. Here's a, a prophecy, clearly a clearly that it's worded as a prophecy. And after it, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Okay. Now, without knowing the Bible, we might... The Bible tells us when this was fulfilled, or at least one of the times in which this was fulfilled, on Acts in Acts chapter 2. But this is used to justify things still continuing. I was going to show you a video, but I knew I didn't have time of a guy that went into a, uh, 
Holy Spirit thing right during his wedding. You can get that on YouTube, by the way. That's, that's pretty funny. He just starts yelling glory and dancing. And he's a good tap dancer, uh, but just goes absolutely berserk during his wedding. Uh, yeah, right during the vows, right, right before he's supposed to kiss the bride. That's the thing that this is used to justify. Well, when we understand concepts and what God wanted, not just directly worded statements, but, um, but things that we need to apply, knowing what God desires of the New Testament helps us to understand if that's what type of thing God would do. Would God do this thing if it contradicts the concepts of the New Testament? So, uh, someone want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the saints. Okay. You see, now it's not a it's not a black and white statement. Don't do this. It's a concept that has lots of applications, doesn't it? We 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 could we could use this on a lot of things that that we could see going on in churches around the country. Maybe Pentecostal. It could be all sorts of things. And we just this is not what God wants. Here's a concept. It applies differently. But it certainly tells us, going berserk in the middle of church, not what God's looking for. Right. So whatever Joel 2.28 meant, the same God that said, I'm not a God of confusion, is the same one that prophesied Joel 2.28. So, so God's probably not going to make happen something that contradicts his own nature. He's not self-contradictory. Um, let's let's move on. So so we've learned to take an orderly approach. Before we get to using prophecy to interpret something or, or or trying to pull something out of prophecy, let's make sure it first doesn't contradict a direct statement or a concept. Uh, and uh, so I want to look at using existing keys. And we want to go back to um, something we talked about. This is like a, well, there are stated fulfillments of things. Right? Uh, there are times where... Uh, you remember Jesus stood up in the temple and he read the passage and he said, uh, it's been appointed unto me to... Uh, you know, to do all these things. He gives a big list and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. All right? It's stated, it's fulfilled. Use what's there. We, we come up with, people will come up with all sorts of ideas. And it's like, but this says uh, that this referred to this event. Um, so, for example, uh, and we could go to the same one. We go to Acts 2. It refers to Joel 2.28, and they said, this is what this was talking about. So so we have a stated fulfillment. We don't need to get creative and come up with our own. I'm not smarter than the apostles. I don't know more about prophecy than the apostles. If they said, this is the fulfillment, or if Jesus says, this is the fulfillment, that's the fulfillment. I have the key. I have the the, the source of interpreting this, this statement from the Old Testament or from wherever. 
Um, and I want another thing that we do is look for a recurring what we call it, a recurring device. In other words, uh, if something is used similar, like we talked about stars falling from heaven, that's used often. Look for the ways that those are used. Um, so, for example, um, we talked about, uh, we, we've mentioned before, um, I'm not going to, for the sake of time, read it all, um, but I'll, I'll read a little bit of it. Revelation chapter 12, it's verse 1 through 6, but um, it says, The great sign appeared in heaven. There's this woman clothed with sun and moon under her feet. Also impossible, unless she's standing on the moon. Um, and on her head was a crown of 12 stars. Well, that's possible, I think. Probably she could have 12 stars on her head. Um, it goes on and on down through this passage, right? Um, and then it says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she was placed where she had a place prepared by God, which she was to be nourished for 1,260 days. Okay. Well, I know right away it's figurative. So, so is, is it possible now, there's a possible that whatever event this is symbolizing took place over an exact period, by the way, this works out to three and a half years. By their calendar, they had a 360-day calendar. Um, not quite up to times. But uh, that was their calendar back then. So this works out to an exact period of three and a half years. It might be possible uh, to find an event that... But if we look at some Bible keys, there are some interesting things in the Old Testament. So we want to look at Numbers 14.34. Actually, I think I have this one up here. Yeah, Numbers 14.34. It says, According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you will bear the iniquity for 40 years, and you will know... My displeasure is another one just like it. And it's only coincidental that this is 40, I, I believe, because these are two completely separate events in different places. Uh, but Ezekiel 4, 6 says, uh, when you've completed these, and here he's in the middle of prophesying, um, you're going to turn over. Now you're going to lay on your right side and prophesy uh, and bear the punishment of the house of Judah. Forty days I assign you a day for a year. And so in prophetic things, there's a recurring, what we call a recurring device, uh, that prophetic numbers often use days to symbolize years. Now, with that, without starting a study on Revelation, I'm going to tell you that there is a very interesting thing that happens in history in which there are very significant religious events that are exactly separated by 1,260 years. Exactly. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, that could be a coincidence. Um, but but we want to use that's just an example of of using things that already exist that people already understood that were already in their language that were in their Bible that they understood. Okay. And I want to avoid just a couple of pitfalls. We're about done. Common pitfalls in looking at figurative language. First is guesswork. I used to do this all the time in school. Guess, right? Hey, if you don't, if you don't know, go back, leave it blank, go back through and fill in letters and numbers or whatever. Uh, guess, you'll get a better grade. Not doesn't work with the Bible. <laughs> don't don't do, don't use guesswork. Um, we saw typology explained in Romans. Um, 
but the Bible doesn't always feel free to explain things. Uh, in in Hebrews uh, chapter nine, he go he begins and he talks about uh, it, the beginning of the chapter. Uh, talks about all these things uh, that are part of the covenant. He talks about Aaron's rod and he talks which budded and he talks about all these things in the temple and tabernacle. And he says they all correspond to something. And then he never tells us. I could guess at it. But I don't know. I could be wrong. Now some things in that list elsewhere the Bible depicts what the mercy seat is. Oh, I know what that is because elsewhere we're told. But not everything in that list. The angels standing on top of the Ark of the Covenant never tells me what those symbolize. Real angels? Some concept? I don't know. Never feels free to tell me. So, uh, don't don't guess. That's a, that's a good thing. Better to go, I don't know, than to be wrong. Uh, so, at the very least, uh, proceed with caution in prophecy. Here's one, extrapolation. Uh, that's when we take one thing and just, we take it too far. Um, in other words, similarity. Uh, oh, let's back up here. Similarity does not imply typology. But we're talking about typology. Um, how many of you ever heard that Isaac was a symbol or a type of Christ? Okay. Now that's not exactly wrong. But the event, what event do, is typically referred to? Okay. Why? Can you list the things? This, depending on how creative you are with the Bible, there's quite a list. Sacrifice for something that he didn't commit. Okay. Isaac didn't have a sin that caused him to be sacrificed. He carried his own. Okay. He carried his own wood. Christ carried his own cross. Yes, a good one. At the end of it, oh, there's, just, there's a bunch of stuff. Um, he, Isaac was called the only begotten son. Go sacrifice, offer me your only begotten son. He went up Mount Moriah. You know, that's where Jerusalem is built. It's on that mountain later on. Just an empty mountain when Abraham was there. Um, the Bible call, says that he was offered, even though he managed to survive. We see him go up as a willing person. And the Bible says that Abraham received him back, almost like a resurrection. And you can get more creative than that. Isn't it interesting that the Bible never calls him a type? and never refers to... None, none of the preachers of our New Testament, none of our apostles ever referred to these events as being similar. All of these details, though they are curious similarities have nothing to do with the main point of the story. Let's go back through and look at the story. Isaac was supposed to be burnt, not hung. He didn't know what he was doing. He was never told. Where is, where is the lamp of the sacrifice? Don't worry about it. Yeah, he's willing. He didn't know what was going on. He was not a sacrifice for sin. This was just an offering. He was not the sacrifice that God prepared. 
the ram was the sacrifice that God prepared. Um, God stopped the sacrifice of Isaac. Well, that's clearly not a symbol. There was actually no death. So therefore, there was actually no resurrection. All the actual key spiritual elements don't fit. In other words, this is why I'm saying things can look really similar, but unless the Bible goes, yeah, this is typology. Now, Isaac is a type for Jesus, but not that event. Do you, do you know what the Bible links between Isaac and Jesus? They were sons of promise. That's the only thing that Bible ever links between them is that they were sons of promise. I believe that's Galatians. So don't make more of it than the Bible makes of it. Don't make more of it. Don't be smarter than Paul. Don't be smarter. Right? There's so many preachers that are smarter than the apostles. And they love to get creative. but Don't get creative. Um, real quick, don't get into numbers. Seven is not the number of perfection that I've ever read in my Bible. Three is not the number of God. I know the Trinity and all that, but and then people start looking for threes and forties and all this. It's not in there. There's no numerology. doesn't mean numbers aren't important, but numerology specifically is not in the Bible. Uh, and don't get into sensationalism. In other words, uh, if it sounds like a conspiracy theory and the Illuminati and all this other stuff, leave it alone. The Bible is pretty non-sensational in that regard. Um, just don't get into conspiracy theories and, and all that stuff. People just love that stuff. We love sensation. If it sounds like a movie, it's probably not the Bible, right? Um, all, all those, all those, you know, dystopian books and stuff like that. Oh, the end of the world. If it sounds like a Mad Max movie, it's not true. It's, it's just so. Any thoughts as we close? Alright, we're done.